guys and welcome back to the Motor Recon Podcast. I'm your host Adam. I'm joined today by again by my friend Rob. Um, if you did listen to episode 2 last week, you'll remember that we went on a trip to Monaco, um, which we did thoroughly enjoy. Uh, so we're going to do a quick roundup of that trip and uh, what we thought of it, what we saw and what we did, and highlight a couple of the things we mentioned last week. Um, if you remember, uh, last week we did talk about, I uh, say, the few things we did want to see. Uh, and one of the options on my list uh, was actually Mika Hakkinen and his McLaren Senna. Now, unfortunately, we didn't see that. Um, he was he was obviously in China for the Grand Prix, so uh, we didn't get to see him in his car. Um, but one of the things on your list, Rob, um, was actually the track walk. Uh, what did you think of that? Yeah, obviously, I think it's actually quite a good time of year to go and see the track because um, some of the arm core barriers up by that point for people who haven't been there yet. Um, the idea is that they build the track before obviously the race takes place. And because you have sort of like some of the recognizable features from when you watch it on the telly, lends a little bit more perspective to the track itself rather than just seeing it in its normal street layout. Yeah, I noticed that to be fair. Um, it was great seeing the pits as well. Yeah, and that was one of the other benefits, yeah. wasn't it? Because by that point, they have some of the pits together and things like that. And as far as the track walk's concerned, fantastic. I mean, you do get a good sense of what the track is like on the telly, but one of the things that you don't seem to get is um, obviously f- off through the first turn at Sandoval up the hill, you never get the sense of um, elevation change. No, it is it is a really steep hill. For anyone who hasn't actually been there, when you're walking up it, you actually feel it on the back of your legs. It's pretty steep. Yeah, and I found that is it on the telly, I don't think sometimes it um, extenuates just how sort of sharp the corners can be. No, and so, how tight they are. Yeah. yeah. The barriers are close. Even when you're walking, you're not in a car or anything like that. It seems narrow then, let alone if you're flying through that at 60, 70, 80 mile an hour, even on a sharp bend. It's It must be terrifying. It's astonishing how they can even get a enough lock on those cars to get around the Fairmont chicane. Oh, I know. It's ridiculous. Well, in the F1 game, I don't know if you've played it, but the uh, the chicane on there, is, it's impossible to do that. I can never get it right. So, yeah, that was one of my favourite bits, I would say, as far as the track walk was concerned. Um as you say, not completely completed by that time of year yet, um, but as we might mention later on in the podcast, with the Formula E coming up a little bit earlier than the F1, I suppose maybe things have to be put together a little bit quicker. I'm not so sure, but... Yeah, I'm not sure how they how they work that. So the chicane was missing, if I remember uh, correctly, as you come out the tunnel and down. Uh, yeah, normally, that's the right. normal little chicane. That, that was not actually set up, but obviously it is a public road. Yeah, um, you can see sort of like the little white lines where some of the corners aren't quite in yet, but obviously the planning's in place to go and put the sort of the rumble strips and whatever's necessary down. Yeah. But one of the other fascinating things about walking the track is, by the looks of it, I don't know whether you've been when the track isn't there at all, but a lot of the rumble strips are just left there. Oh, they're there, they're there yeah. anyway. Yeah, I've been in November before, um, like a random November. Obviously, there's nothing going on then. Uh, in the run up to Christmas, yeah, they're all still there. Fairmont hairpin has all the um, everything still left in place. It's not a, I don't, I'm just gonna do it there all year round, I guess. Well, I found the Fairmont hairpin particularly fascinating purely because when you look at those rumble strips, obviously, I'm sure it's not the same one that was put down right at the very beginning. Now, that, yeah, no, that's I'm, obviously I'm, not the case. I'm pretty sure they probably repaint it every year as well. Sure, because a lot of cars drive on there. When you just think of the history that that place has seen and 
even before Formula One, obviously, when it was Grand Prix racing before the actual Formula One rules came into place, yeah. you've got an icon from every single generation going back to, God, the 1900s, early 1900s, yeah. really. So it's quite a special place to be for that. I'd yeah. Say. Is it one of the oldest um, sort of Grand Prix tracks, if you will? Well, I know that racing's been going on there since the early 1900s. Yeah, there's always been something, hasn't So there's there? always been something going on there, I reckon. And yeah. the Monte Carlo Rally as well. That's I know that's up in the mountains. It's not actually Monaco, but that's been going on for donkey's years, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I've also, I've also thought it was quite good to see the history of some of the corners as well. So um, obviously having a look at the church behind Sandoval and things like that. And when we went up onto the top of the... There's a um, sort of like a a hill in Monaco where the Principality sits on the top. And there's, a, there's an absolutely fantastic vantage point over the majority of the track from the top yeah. of that hill. Is that overlooking Raskas? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, as you're going down. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember that day. It was, quite, it was a good view, actually. If you hadn't paid for tickets and you were in, you were in Monaco... Probably the place to be. Although I imagine there's a lot of people up there with the same idea. Yeah, you would be. I imagine you'd be fighting quite a lot of people to be there. Yeah, you'd have to get there early in the morning, wouldn't you? Get your seat and get your deck chair out for uh, for one of them. Um, right. So yeah, that was that was your highlight. That was a uh, obviously one of my personal highlights as well. I love walking that track. Um, but there's a couple of things we did mention last week which we were hoping to see. I know I've mentioned Mika and his Senna, but um, the predominant reason for going uh, was for car spotting. Um, and I really did want to see another Bugatti on the street. I've seen loads of them, obviously, here in London and things like that in the UK and whatever, but unfortunately, the Bugatti dealer has actually gone in Monaco. I think it was a shop now, uh, which is it's normally at the Fairmont Hairpin, oh, uh, right. actually under the Fairmont Hotel. Uh, it was the Bugatti sort of boutique uh, and dealer. Uh, that's no longer there, unfortunately, and we didn't see any on the street, which was a bit of a shame. I haven't been to Monaco before and never seen one. So that was a bit of an unusual. Um, I wanted to see also a uh, Pista, a Ferrari 488 Pista. And we were lucky enough to see two. We were, yeah. We were, yeah. The the one in Casino Square, um, which if you do follow my Instagram, um, you might have seen me post it up there, uh, which was fantastic. A beautiful spec. I've not seen one like that before. Like a really deep red. Not, yeah, like, yeah. A, like a ruby red, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was very different to your usual Ferrari red, which I'm not a massive fan of, if I'm honest. Um, and we did see the second one, which was like your standard Ferrari red, as we were on the bus leaving Monaco. So <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't get a picture of that. Um, however, the one thing I'm a little bit frustrated was, while we were there, a couple of the YouTuber guys, uh, YouTubers were there, uh, Paul Wallace, um, Sam from See Through Glass, and Seb uh, and the like, and uh, Hampshire Car Photography. Uh, they were all down there, and they all managed to spot a brand new 488 uh, Pista Spider. Um, I think it went for the launch of the F8 Tributo, which again, we also missed by a matter of minutes, which was a bit unfortunate. Um, so I'd have loved to have seen that, uh, but we didn't. Uh, Another sort of highlight for me, I, mean, I know I didn't plan on seeing it, but it was great to see. We actually saw four Ferrari Enzos. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that that probably is one of the highlights of my trip as well. Yeah, it's one, one of my favourite Ferraris. The sound of it is insane, obviously named after the founder of the company itself um, and codenamed as the F60 um, to follow on from the F50. Um, we saw a black one and a red one in the service centre, and there was also another red one above in the sort of upper deck of the service centre, 
uh, another red one in a random dealership just on a on a side street really which was uh, nice to see um was there anything you saw car wise that you was a particular highlight for you that it could be any any of the random stuff we saw did like the bubble car yeah oh, oh i forgot about that i don't yeah. how did i forget about that for some, yeah. I, for some reason that is one of the things that sticks into my mind because obviously he had a it's, you have to see it to believe it so you should probably check out the instagram and the youtube video that adam put together um, it's got like a had a lovely little luggage sort of section. Oh yeah, it's on like the a, back yeah, like a wicker basket, yeah. wasn't it, on the back of it? That was brilliant to see. Um, loved seeing a DB11 in sort of like its um, habitat outside yeah. the um, uh, casino. Yeah. That was fantastic. Oh, was that the the it was a black UK registered one that as well, was wasn't it? One, proper yeah. proper Bond style, and then it driven down to the south of France in his. Uh, I thought that was brilliant um, and again one of the other cars that I'm a particular fan of because it's such a huge step forwards from its predecessor is the new Bentley Continental GT yes and yeah. that was lovely to see one yeah. of those yeah it was a, a couple well. didn't we as well a, re a really nice blue one that yeah. detail was gorgeous um, I like seeing that again um, if you do want to see it uh, head over to my YouTube channel Motor Recon I've put a little travel video together um, from a few of the car spots we did see um, another big highlight for me, which you never, ever, ever see them, uh, Maserati MC12. Yeah. I, I've only ever seen, excluding at shows, I've only ever seen one, I think, in my life. Um, and even that was in a dealership. It wasn't sort of just in a service centre or anything like that. Now, are they based on the Enzo? Yes. Ah. It's the same engine, same chassis. I think it's like, they are a lot longer. Uh, if you notice how yeah, lengthwise no, that, that, that it, it is was noticeable huge. in person. Yeah, I think just it, how long they are. I think it's seventeen feet long. Blimey! Which for and, and the wing on them is hilariously wide. I think that's seven feet wide, easy, because um, it even sticks out further than the width of the actual car. Uh, I don't know if any if you've seen one in person, but they are huge and no rear window. And uh, for, for no parking sensors either, so that's going to be hilarious trying to park that. Well, I suppose when you're in that sort of territory, is that what valet parking's for? <laughs> yes, I suppose so. But even then, I bet they'd be terrified. They're you work in teams. <laughs> yeah, you've got to have a guy behind you, a guy on each side of you. Because uh, let's face it, you're not seeing anything out of them side windows. They are tiny. I also, what I'd say one of the one of the best things that we were able to do was obviously we sat in Casino Casino Square, which. Um, I know it's probably not the best time of year for the absolute quality outside of the casino. No. But if you're paying a flying visit to Monaco, I'm sure it, it's quite a good place to see some nice cars. Yeah, where... if, you, if, you, if you've got a couple of hours to go free, just put yourself against the railing, just chill out for a bit and just watch the world go by and you'll see, you'll see guaranteed to see something. Yeah, and as you say, given the time of year that we're there it probably wasn't the most spectacular sort of selection you could look at no but summer would be better still plenty to see though it, oh, i mean yeah. it certainly wasn't a waste adventure by no means oh no no i'm not at all um so normally when i have been uh, it, it's been top marks now obviously you know the predicament with that where we they did announce some dates for the show we booked everything around that fortunately just not tickets for the show and then the dates got changed which was a bit of an annoyance but you know you get what you dealt don't you but you see i thought that that helped us see monaco in a bit of a unique light though because yeah. we were able to i mean for someone like me i was able to see it when there isn't a major event on in its sort of usual day-to-day -day ticking over 
And I thought that was quite interesting in itself. Yeah, it is. I say I've only ever been once when there's not actually an event happening. Um, and it was in the to be fair, actually, even then, we didn't go for any event. It was in November, so obviously you think it'd be quite quiet down there. Um, but I think it was Monaco International Monogasque Day or something like that. I can't remember the exact name uh, for it. So they had uh, a lot of big yachts in the harbour. They had a huge bonfire uh, display, uh, like firework display, sorry, going along uh, on over the harbour, which were fantastic to see and watch. Obviously, there was a lot of people there because it was a local event. Yeah. And they had a big fun fair and everything. So I suppose, actually, that is the first time I've been with not actually nothing happening other than the tennis, which is not renowned for its uh, cars. No, there wasn't really anything to see car-related when it came to the tennis, no. unfortunately. Sponsored by Peugeot. I bet that's every tennis ma- every <laughs> tennis player's dream, isn't it? Oh, what am I getting chauffeured to the tennis rap matching? A Peugeot 508. Oh. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> I got into the wrong sport. Um, but no, it was, uh, it was obviously... I'm assuming if we stuck around outside there, we would have seen some tennis players, but unfortunately, that's not my... Uh, not my area of expertise. Another interesting place to go and see when you're in Monaco is Fonvier, just over the other side oh, of yes. the hill. Beautiful. It's a little bit more sort of laid back, I would say, as opposed to the Monte Carlo section of things. But outside some of the restaurants down there, that was also quite a good place to do some car well, spotting. Um, what was that bar called next to the restaurant we went to? Um, Gerhard's. Gerhard's, yeah. I don't know if it's any relation to Gerhard the Formula yeah, 1. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know if it has anything to do with Gerhard Burger. But... No. It could be, you never know. <laughs> he probably lived in Monaco, didn't he? But he was very um, lively down there. Yeah, but that, that was a pretty lively little bar in between all the restaurants. Um, it's a nice place just going to stroll around. The harbour's very pretty as well, I thought. Very picturesque with all the cliffs around it and things like that. And obviously that's where the museum was, which was one of the things we really wanted to see on our list. It was, yes. We went to the Prince's um, personal car collection museum again missed an f40 by a day it's just our luck isn't it this they did have an f40 in the museum the day before we went um, but unfortunately it wasn't there when we arrived uh, but some of my highlights from that was definitely the formula one cars for me yeah so they i believe they had an arrows formula one car in there they had something from damon hill in there which is good um they also had i believe one of um, nigel mansell's uh ferraris so that's all yes they did to see. God, what era was that that was a uh, That'll 19, be 90s, 19, I believe. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember the exact date they said. They do have all the placards by the cars giving you the full information of obviously who drove it, when it raced and everything like that. They um, had a little Red Bull section, which was nice to see. Yeah, I like that actually. It was a, yeah, it was a, uh, with the Formula One simulator they had set up in there as well, wasn't it? Um, we didn't go on that, but um, it was cool to see. Yeah. The, uh, Red, was it Red Bull, Lotus and a Mercedes in there, a McLaren was it in there? I can't remember. They're three different ones anyway, but they were um, great to have a look at and get really close to them. Yeah. Um, there was an E-Type, wasn't there, as well, up yeah. on the top in beautiful condition, which is one British of my... British Racing pers- Green. Exactly. It's probably in... It's one of my favourite cars of all time in one of my favourite specs of all time. So if I could have driven anything out of there, well, it's got to be quite close to the top of the list, yeah. to be honest. Well, one of the things in there, which I did actually mention last week I wanted to see, was that converted Lexus. Um, that's actually now in his um, in his museum, uh, where the full back of it's all glass. That was quite cool to see. It's not something you would normally look at. Um, but if I was going to drive away one of the cars in there, oh, the Daytona, the Ferrari Daytona, yes, uh, that race, Ferrari Daytona, racing car, yes, that was oh the two eight eight GTO. I don't know. It's between them two. It's a tough call between them two, to be honest. 
Well, I must admit, I, I would choose the E-Type purely because it is one of my favourite cars in history, but it would be painstaking for me to try and drive past the Lancia or 37. Oh, they did. Yeah. Oh, yes, and full rally spec, full Group B rally spec as well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and oh, God. Wow, <laughs> yeah, that thing was um, that thing was something else to see. And well, they had a few, a few rally cars in there, didn't they? They did. The Citroen DS3 rally car. They had a, the, actually the, yeah, was that the, Sebastian Loeb's? Yes, it was. Yeah. It was Loeb's uh, Citroen DS3 rally car, but oh, the uh, MG... Uh, metro rally car <laughs> with the xj220 engine in it wow that was that was nuts to see i've only ever seen one at goodwood before then yeah it's probably the main reason i'm looking forward to going goodwood again this summer purely because i do love an xj220 because it's one of those things it was just built with what they had and yeah, it really worked out the bin. <laughs> and it really worked though and i love car companies when they're in that situation where they may not have all that much money available to them to do R&D, but they do their best. And as it turns out, the best happens to be brilliant. Yeah. So any car with a history like that always has a soft spot for me. Well, the, the when they originally planned the XJ220, I don't know if many of you will know this, but it was originally planned with a V12 and four-wheel drive. That's what they told potential customers that the car was going to have. Um, obviously, it was coming up against, the, um, it was out before the McLaren F1, but... I think that was in the pipeline at the time. So customers were putting down the deposits for these cars that they were promised with V12s and four-wheel drive. And then obviously the recession hit in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And obviously that didn't go so well for Jaguar. So it ended up with a, met uh, a Metro rally car engine and it not four-wheel drive. It absolutely didn't need more than six cylinders. It definitely had power. I think it adds to the character of the car. Yeah, I think so as well, to be honest. What's wrong with a horrendous amount of turbo back? Well, I th as you say, you couldn't. I imagine there aren't many cars out there with the same character. No, and it, how wide is it? Seven and a half feet wide. It's very wide. And long. <laughs> but the interior still manages to be one of the most cramped interiors known to man. Given it's so wide and so long, I don't know how they've got <laughs> such a small yeah. cabin. But still, again, cool to see. Um, which actually leads us on nicely to uh, one thing that was in that museum that I don't think have I ever seen one before I may or, I may, may, or may not have done um, but that car was it, it was, I think it was a French car I do honestly don't remember the name which I do apologise Paul but it had that huge propeller on the front yes it did didn't it yeah that, so... for me I, I know it's random You ne I've never ever seen one I don't know if you'd even I don't know if you know how many they even made yeah, um, I did say before I went to Monaco that I wanted to see some sort of unique creation which you wouldn't find anywhere else. You did. And a car which was propelled by a literal propeller on the front of it yes. has to be up there as one of the most bizarre creations I've ever seen. It does. And the body, well, the sort of what you would consider the chassis and body of the car kind of looked like a wooden boat. It reminded me a little bit of a Morgan three-wheeler in some respects. Yeah. Just the way that the body was shaped. And yeah, and put the engine on the front just with a huge propeller, which would shred anybody it crashed into. Yeah, considering the three-wheelers air cooled as well. So. Yeah, <laughs> they have the engines out I imagine they actually share a little bit more in common than you might imagine. Yeah, and the end with TBR, because it was a uh, basically a fiberglass boat-looking body thing. Yeah. I don't think it was fiberglass. It probably would back then, but... That was a very interesting thing to see. Um, another few highlights. I'll just, I know I've mentioned that the YouTube guys were there, but it, it'd be nice to uh, just say that 
I think Paul had the best car when he was down there. He the first 720s Spider uh, yeah. I've seen. Uh, McLaren obviously gave him that um, for the weekend for whatever reason um, to go and experience in Monaco, and that was lovely to see driving around on the roads. And uh, Sam had the brand new uh, 911, uh, the new shape one, which, in all honesty, if you're looking at it from just a random glance, you wouldn't know it was a new 911. I'm not even a cliche there. Until it goes around to the back where it is a bit different. It was great to see them driving around and random that this happened to be there at the same time we were. I happen to love the new 911. I must be honest. I'm very much sold on the shape. I know that some people don't like them and obviously looks for subjective. But for me, yeah, I, I, I love the shape. I love a sports car with clean lines. That, yeah. that is my sort of preference. I know, as you say, some people love big wings and things like that. And I see the reasons for those. And obviously, when it comes to track cars, I get that they're essential and things like that. But for me personally, I prefer a sports car, which just has sort of a timeless element yeah. to it. But it. We saw that 50th anniversary. Was it 70? I can't remember how old they are. No, yeah, 70th anniversary, 911. No, it was the 50th anniversary, 911. Yes, it was. It was. That it? was a very clean spec. It was even in like a... Like a lead, leady grey pencil color. Yeah, that very, was my idea. I said yeah. at the time that that's yeah. my ideal spec for a nine eleven. And yeah. it had the original nine eleven sort of alloy, uh, alloys, didn't it? This, I don't know yeah, the like little, yeah, squat little squat, little squat, yeah, um, little alloys, which were really. It was, it was very nice, and I can see why you'd have one. Yeah, not my personal choice for a, a sports car, but I can see why you'd like them. Well, it's um, I must admit, and as you say, when it came to the McLaren 720s, I love it. Don't get me wrong, I do love the McLaren 720s. But for me personally, given that I have a more relaxed sort of approach to striving, and I would absolutely never use the full potential of the no. 720s, I'd honestly save myself some change. I'd probably end up going for something like a 570 GT. I would. Just with yeah. a little bit more legs on it. Again, cleaner lines, which is my preference. But also, it has enough power for me. More than enough. Yeah. Well, if it, well I know it's a bit off topic, but if I was going to pick any McLaren out of the range, for me, it'd be the 600 LT. A much smaller, compact package. Not overwhelming amounts of power but more than enough that you're ever going to need but that's the thing you've got to remember this is the real world it's got far yeah. more than you'd ever need so yeah. that's great and that's all you can uh, all you can ever ask for really isn't it yeah um, so we'll move on to our sort of uh, final topic which is going to be the Formula E in Monaco and mm. the slight differences between that and the F1 uh, obviously when they go there uh, so do you, do you want to kick us off with a bit of the differences around the track um, yeah so um, I as you say, if you just scroll up to the top there, Adam, I believe that the Formula E is due to take place before the F1 at Monaco. And um, one of the things that I find quite interesting about it is that the track is a little bit different. So if you do follow Formula E, or um, if you don't, more like... Uh, Obviously, their cars are far more standardised than F1, and given that the technology is so new and that the racing is predominantly street racing, um, the they're not as fast, and they don't no. have the same sort of downforce or aero to boot. But what the cars do do is they promote extremely close racing, which is very good for spectators. Of course, of course. Um, when the gen cars, so the first generation of Formula E cars that ran from the beginning of the sport up until the previous season from the one that's just started, um, they had to do car swaps in the middle of the race. Yeah. So obviously that's not ideal. 
Well, no, you've literally got to get out of your car, dive into another one, and then set off again. And obviously that was to do with charge limitations and not being able to make the full distance in the car. So with the new generation two cars, which I think look fabulous. They do. I think they're better than F1 cars, if I'm being honest. So I, I must admit that that's a brilliant step forwards in the way of aesthetics. I think they found their own image yes. and their own style. When you look at a Formula E car, it is unmistakably Formula E, without yeah. question. It's it's for me. I I agree with you that hundred percent. It looks completely different to anything else out there. But I like how they've kind of done a a weird cross between a Formula One car and I'd say probably like an Indy car. Mm. Because it, it's got the width at the back like an IndyCar because it, it covers obviously the rear wheels like Formula 1 is open wheels that covers the wheels more yeah, so Yeah and the so front wheels are called covered as well in Formula 1 they, they are yeah. indeed yeah uh, I assume because it's electric that helps them with the aerodynamics Yeah um, uh, and again given that they are more slippery than their Formula 1 cousins if you like um, closer racing is very much promoted a lot of Formula E racing is pack racing yeah. which uh, as you say it's always interesting for a spectator but one of the things I found fascinating about the Monaco round in particular are the amendments to the track. So uh, roughly at where Sandoval is, turn one at Monaco, yes. instead of taking the steep hill all the way up to Casino Square and going bound to the Fairmont chicane and through the tunnel, they just cut off uh, to the right and go down a lower road along the harbour towards the tunnel yeah. and do a hairpin back and rejoin where the normal track sort I, of I was going to say, is that... Is- we, we do have the map up on uh, the screen here, um, obviously, for anybody listening. So it, the hairpin that they come back around to rejoin the normal F1 circuit, is that where the F1 hairpin is? It looks to me like it's, they don't go through the tunnel, do they? No. So that's where the chicane out of the tunnel ends. Okay, yeah. So they go around and back up that boulevard, and then you're back onto the normal F1 circuit. Well, yeah, and so then you, down by the yeah. harbour. So you round. go down by the You do the standard harbour setting, and yeah. obviously you get round a round swimming pool and things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm with you. So, and the pit lane is the same as the F1 one as well. Um, what I was curious to see is, though, by the looks of it, they'll be using the same track again for the 2019 race, which is obviously due to take yeah. soon. I think that must just be, though, for an electric car... I know it's a very steep hill, and to do that multiple times, they will drain drain power. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Between Gen 1 and Gen 2, the leap forwards has been superb. I mean, no longer having to do swaps in the beginning, yeah. in the middle of races is a huge win for them. And the introduction of attack zones, which um, the idea of an attack zone being that... Um, the drivers go offline and they pick it up and they get an extra amount of power. Okay. So that gives them sort of the opportunity to overtake the person in front of them for a limited amount of time. Everybody has the opportunity to do that as well, so it's not unfair. It's become very tactical as to when you take your attack zones. Yeah. So when can you afford to go offline and potentially lose a place? But you have to take it at some point. It's like a joker lap in um, Rallycross. Okay. So it adds a tactical element now that the car change in the middle of races has been taken away. So I'll be curious to see where they put those in on the Monaco track layout. So like I said, Formula Formula E, sorry, is something I am trying to get into. As as you know, I'm not. I've not really watched many races. I've only watched two or three so far today, Um, and that was actually Gen One. I've I haven't watched any Gen Two races yet. Um, But it's something I'm going to start trying to tune in on. So I'm glad you're here because, as you can probably tell, Robert is a very keen uh, Formula E fan. so it's nice for me to learn off you 
uh, and understand this a bit better. And I'm sure some of the listeners are very uh, impressed with your knowledge, actually. I am more than impressed with your knowledge on Formula E. Um, so what we'll do, we'll just actually um, just wrap that up there. It's coming up to the half an hour mark. So um, as always, obviously, thank you for listening. Um, if you do want to sort of catch up with us more on a day-to-day basis, I obviously have my Instagram page, Motor Recon, uh, as well as uh, Recon Motor on Twitter. Uh, and I do have my YouTube channel, Motor Recon, there. Uh, where, again, if you want to go and see the uh, sort of holiday uh, video from our Monaco trip, by all means, go and have a look. Uh, there is a link on my SoundCloud account. Um, so, again, yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Yep, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. See you later.